Welcome to Candela. I'm Christopher Hooten. In this episode, my co-host Alan Schaller and I are joined by Michael Yamashita. Shooting for National Geographic for more than 30 years, Michael's worked in about every corner of the world, but is best known for his work in Asia, particularly Japan, China, and Tibet. He is the author of more than 16 books and often retreads the journeys of history's greatest explorers. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, thank you for joining us today on the show. Okay, thanks for having me. So it's been a year of change for everyone. Yeah. But no more so than a world eloping photographers for National Geographic. So how, how have you found it's been well, uh, for the past year? First of all, I've never had a, a year at home. And so I'm learning a lot of things, certainly about uh, my uh, family and my home. And uh, it's been kind of a odd experience but uh you know there's been a lot of positives and uh i guess the biggest one for me is traveling mainly through the archive you know in a fast-paced travel life you go one project to the next and in the editing process you are shooting a lot of frames and then editing down to a very small number which you end up yeah. using and you forget about the rest of the stuff. And uh, <laughs> during this COVID lockdown, I've been uh, having my assistants basically just feed me all these photographs from past shoots going back 30, even 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, looking over these and finding lots of gems. So, you know, that's been a good thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm obsessed with Asia. Uh, I know Chris loves okay. Asia as well. And your yeah. pictures are just like... The stuff with the snow, in particular, that you've been posting recently. Thank you. I was yeah. like, "Come on, Chris, we need to get we need to get Michael on." <laughs> I, I heard you say on an interview that you often pick your own assignments and you make your own projects, like the Marco Polo thing that you did. Right. And um, how does it work when you go out to Asia and do do these? Do, do you just love going uh, out there and and finding these kind of these kind of scapes? It, Obviously, you do. Well, yeah. Somewhere along my career, I decided to focus on uh, Asia, which is my roots. Um, I'm Japanese-American. And uh, I got to the point where I just said to any of my editors, don't send me anywhere except places where they're serving rice, because also the food <laughs> is a big deal. So I find myself happiest in working in Asia and have been for pretty much all of 40 years. My area of interest and expertise, lots in China, Japan. And uh, so by continuing to go on story after story, you do become an expert. So therefore, these story ideas come pretty easy. So yeah. the way the geographic has uh, worked for freelancers is you go in and you basically pitch your stories. And f for me, the most successful stories. I've done for the magazine or have been ones that I have chosen myself. And mm. of course, to do that, you need to do some serious research. And um, so you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned your Japanese heritage a little bit, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand you were born in San Fran and you yeah. moved to New Jersey. Yeah. My and father was a businessman and worked in New York. Nice. Where were your, where were your folks from originally in Japan? Um, well, my father's from Gifu, and my mother's from Kyushu. And so, of course, been visited both areas to seek out my roots. I made a roots trip right out of college and basically bought my first camera there, and that's the way I, I started. Uh, nice. Like every, like every amateur, taking pictures of what I was seeing and, and doing and sending them back to mom and dad and friends <laughs> and uh that's the way it started. Yeah, that's interesting. Me and just before the pandemic, me and Alan were in Kyushu, we were in Fukuoka, and we oh. went around kind of around Nagasaki and through, I forget the area now where all the onsen are, right out in the beautiful countryside. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but I just, I wonder kind of growing up with a very American life, but with, with Japanese parents, obviously you did, you did feel compelled to go and, and visit Japan and you went out there to teach. What was what was your experience like? Did you did you have that? You know, I guess everyone wants to go out there and feel like ah, 
these are my roots and get a real kind of emotional feeling towards the place. Did you have that or was it more disorientating? Or uh, Well, I was there for four years, enough time to learn that I was not very Japanese. I mean, <laughs> my, I, my face and name, but uh, I think like an American after having grown up here. So I'm kind of a hybrid East and Western product of, uh, yeah, Western mm. education and lifestyle and four years in Japan and uh, learn to speak the language and, of course, go back often, uh, but s- still have, uh, there are big differences uh, <laughs> between myself. I, m- I remember I remember reading somewhere about how you were one of the first photojournalists who went to China when it was opened to foreign press. Yeah, 1982. Yeah, and I I think you said that people were confused because you had the kind of Asian look. But did you find that that was um, beneficial? on that particular trip yes and ever ever since uh i think people also feel somewhat closer or not so i don't stand out like some of my (laughs) white colleagues so uh that's an advantage and of course there's also a downside where there's uh, you know some anti-japanese feeling especially recently so you know uh, and now there's anti-American feeling, so I have no idea what my reception is going to be uh, when I go back. But uh, I'm, uh, as you know by my subjects, I'm not particularly well. I don't cover news. Uh, sometimes I mix it up with the news guys because the event happens to be newsworthy. But otherwise, I'm looking from more cultural and uh my stories that seem to be more cultural and uh, historic uh usually i'm looking for subjects that are Mm. fast disappearing uh i'm trying to illustrate stories with pictures from the present that are actually making comments about what it was like in the case of marco polo 700 years ago yeah, it's that, it's that link to history, actually, that Chris and I were talking about before this interview that we found interesting because I think you're coming at things from a, a actually recreating trips that people have made and doing that through photography. I don't think many people have done that. Yeah, our first guest on the show was Steve McCurry. And, you know, across his books, he's done ones on reading and he sort of focuses on more, you know, those kind of themes that go throughout history. You focused in on, on real specific moments which must be i imagine they must be such fun assignments trying to get yourself in that mindset and and retrace those steps yeah well i uh i I did study asian history not that i remember much of it from college days but uh that uh interest (laughs) uh especially going to china and seeing from early days where you were really seeing stuff that uh existed nowhere else and i started uh trying to uh, document everything that was happening then and uh as things became more modernized i somehow got into capturing scenes that i knew would disappear Uh, i didn't know how fast but the place was changing so quickly that things that you saw one year and you'd go back the next and already that uh, that would be gone and where there were little villages there were now uh, cities so then i thought that wouldn't it be a good thing to be shooting these um the lifestyles and culture that were uh, would not be with us um, and it's it's really paid off since a lot of the work that um i'm known for really can't be repeated it's Mm. it's gone forever so but just it was a natural fit and uh i continue to do that so (laughs) now i i'm I'm always looking for the place that has had the least uh uh, modern impact and uh, uh, before the pandemic i was left off in tibet which is really changing fast and that was my goal was to really cover tibet uh, every road every mile of it and uh shoot this disappearing lifestyle as well as what's taking its place mm. do you know uh, you must know of joel uh, I, I'm, I'm terrified about pronouncing surnames now sartori, sartori. <laughs> yeah <laughs> shoots every sh- animal yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, because he's doing that photo art project where, yes. um, and 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 of course he's documented some species of animals that have already gone extinct. Uh, yes, and um, I suppose uh, it just made me think. Like maybe you're you're kind of doing the uh, the, the human culture <laughs> version of, uh, of of what he's doing with the animals. Well, I, I never uh, I never made the comparison. To tell you the truth, never even thought of it. <laughs> I, as I've me never thought of same, it until just now. Same genre as, as Joel, who of course I know very well. I, I bet you I, do. I, I, it's the yeah. Yeah, Steve McCurry is a good buddy, and he's yeah. uh, really he is doing the same in uh, India because and in, in other parts of Asia because again, what he's um, managed to shoot um, is very hard to repeat. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you guys cross paths much? Out, you know, we do. It, it, it been, yeah. How, how does that? How does that happen? Do you are you nearby and you 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 make plans to meet up? Do you literally ever pass each other or? Yeah, I, I, there's some funny scenes where I've been in going uh, through the, the, the line and, you know, there's the entrance entrance and exit lines to the air, in the airport where you're uh, closed off by a wall. And I've been in situations where I've seen good friends going, but in the other direction as I'm entering the country, they're leaving or vice versa. But, <laughs> Mm. Uh, and of course, if uh, you know, we share things like our fixers and people who um, in the field are working with needing research or help. You you consult those who've been there before. So there's that aspect. And of course, if anybody's going to be in an area, well, that's a uh, a great uh, fun kind of bonus where you get together and compare notes. And sometimes you're even um, shooting the same thing so you know one of the big i've been published or posting a bunch of pictures of lebron uh, the the big monastery where they have these incredible um uh, rituals and, and uh, just about now in fact it's it's the tibetan new year and so i'll be there and you know i'll look to my right and there's my buddy nomachi from japan he's shooting alongside and uh it's it's fun because when the shooting's done, you get together at night and hang out and compare notes and uh, and talk shop. Nice. I'm guessing you get asked a lot. Being an Asia specialist, where's great to go in Asia? Now, I know, I, I've been to I've been uh, not over all of it, but I've been to Vietnam. I've been to you know to China and I've been to Japan. One place I, re I really want to go is to Hokkaido. Is it Hokkaido? Hokkaido, yeah. Yeah, with again all your all the snow. Yeah, definitely want um, to go there. Go to Hokkaido. To put that another way, I think we've we've spoken about India a lot on this show. We've spoken about Japan a fair amount, China a little bit. Where well, I'm trying to think where we're neglecting or other spots that I've really really enjoyed. Well, I've gone uh, out of my way to find or to go to areas that are less touristed. Uh, it's very difficult to go to, say, Thailand and find something that's not become a tourist Disneyland. Yeah. Uh, it goes, goes a lot of places in China that way. So, you know, I've gone one step further and I work in Tibet, which is uh, physically uh, tougher and uh, as well as <laughs> just far off the beaten path. As far as you can go is where I want to go. So. Uh, yeah, uh, Tibet's a big one for me. Uh, of course, there's a lot of political issues there, and it's making it difficult. Mm. Uh, if you follow my uh, Instagram or my career, you can see I've worked a lot on the edges of places, edges of yeah. China. In, in Japan, I'm on the seacoast, and in Hokkaido, which is the least populated island and Actually, it was my first story for the magazine for for the Geographic was Hokkaido, Japan, and I had that love for um, the the look of uh, especially in the winter time. It's it's gets the world's deepest snow. It's it's um, yeah yeah Siberian that. winds hit the mountains and dump tons of snow there. So if you want to shoot in the snow, that is the place to go, and it's happening right now unfortunately mm. japan shut down to tourism uh, or to to a foreign entry by anybody and that's where i was 
exactly at this time last year oh, wow. specifically to shoot snow scenes and uh, yeah uh, it was already it like was my it, last trip yeah i love mm. japan it was already kind of hard enough to to get in the country and now it's just like boom just no chance at all but, um, yeah <laughs> think, thinking about um asia you you mentioned you know that some of the places are harder to get to and others and that some places obviously there's a lot of difficulties and when you when you see things like you know what's happening in myanmar at the moment yeah does it, i mean i don't know if it's changed at different points in your career but do you think that does that make you want to go there or does it make you think i need to keep some distance from a place that's so troubled um well you know i've been going to uh myanmar also for a long time specifically for the same reasons that it is at one time it was, it was even impossible to go there back in uh, the late 90s foreigners i think were banned or certainly foreign journalists and it was just the most difficult place to get into and i got new passports uh, without journalist stamps one time to get in i've gone in with photo workshops basically to get access to a place that um, normally is forbidden to, to get into and uh, two sides of the of that question about the um, uh, what's going on there today for example uh, yes you feel really bad for those people especially the ones that I I've, you know, I've got a lot of friends over there so obviously concerned but the other side to what's going on there is, you know, mm -hmm. they need the money and they need the uh, foreign tourists to get there f to spend money as well as the journalists to tell the story from the inside. So, yeah, I'd love to get back in. And uh, I don't know the means of, well, obviously it's impossible now, but... Um, yeah, It's I, funny, I, isn't it, visiting places as well as a photographer because... I find that, you know, governments tend to just conflate all photographers and all kinds of journalists and just, you know, put them under the same umbrella. So you find it doesn't matter if you're going to a place and you're saying, you know, hey, I'm actually just a street photographer and I just focus on, you know, artistic moments that I see in the street. They kind of just <laughs> by default kind of lump you in with people who, you know, there are there to kind of document political unrest and there's not really <laughs> a kind of a bright line between to that. Yeah, I think it's better just to go in and don't, don't say you're a photographer. There's a blanket <laughs> yeah, rule yeah. everywhere because, you know, there's a lot of suspicion, especially in, in uh, some third world countries and, and uh, dictatorships where you are considered to be um, an enemy because you are can your camera or your words can affect yeah. <laughs> in a way yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I had got a v while well, i was applying for a visa for china and um i got this really odd call from the embassy in london from china and, and they said uh they gave me like extra criteria that i had to answer um mm -hmm. in order for me to get my visa and they said if you don't give it to us in the next hour your visa's uh, things can is is going to be completely cancelled oh, uh, your, right. your application and um because i was say i said i was a photographer that's why i was going there <laughs> and anyway the, what happened was i had to tell them exactly where i was traveling from each day my day plan for each day wow. and i thought oh god i've been um I've been, yeah, like Chris. You're on a list. <laughs> they, they think I'm some investigative photographer, which I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I was just doing an art project with the newspaper. That was all. <laughs> well, as you as you get older, you can always claim you're retired, which is a good way to go travel anywhere. <laughs> ah, yeah, I, I could I could try and say I could put a wig on and and say I'm retired. <laughs> good idea. Have you that noticed, Mike, um, in, in recent years, like more doors have opened for you? Obviously, there's this being, been this big sort of Nat Geo effect on online where, you know, obviously it's always been very prestigious to shoot for Nat Geo and to shoot wildlife and nature and landscapes. But it was before it was sort of semi-anonymous in a way, whereas now, you know, like yourselves, there are you know, a handful of photographers who have these huge, great followings and there's a sort of celebrityfication of it a little bit. Um, and I just wonder how that's, how that's affected things. And presumably it's 
enabled you to grow a little bit and have more of a, a team and you know obviously it, it yeah. comes with its negatives the internet for sure but it must have um yeah opened opened things up a, a little bit and also made you probably not quite so um beholden to all these organizations anymore because you know before it was all about you had a publication or an organization yes. you know with your paycheck whereas now you could kind of if you wanted to say i'm just going to do something completely off my own back that's now way more on the table presumably than it would have been before yeah well it's um there's a couple of things at work here one is the tv is what uh, TV, National Geographic Channel, is what made it uh, of universal. Everybody now knows geographic and, and because TV is such a much bigger medium. So, um, yeah, you go and people welcome you now because they associate you with, uh, with the TV shows. And um, that's the first thing that comes to mind, not the magazine. But uh, the magazine uh, from the beginning gave photographers the time and resources more than any other magazine or more than any other client to do definitive work. And so what you're seeing among geographic photographers with big followings is they also have huge uh, bodies of work and, and deep files on wherever they went. So you're looking at um, people who, you know, you, you get good pictures by investing time and, and uh, being able to um, really explore a subject. And so that's been the key to the geographic all the way all, all along, and which is why it's become or has always been such an iconic um, magazine for photography. So anyway, yeah, it's been, it's good, especially now because of its reputation, you are generally, and it's non-political also. So it's, um, you generally are welcomed in, in most places to, to take pictures though. And of course, so many places, um, you know, I don't speak the language and I'm traveling with a fixer, my interpreter to, um, uh, communicate, but you know, often you didn't even get that far. Who it's not like I'm a professional and I'm shooting for somebody, it's just that I'm shooting pictures and wherever I am as a photographer. Mm. Um, do you think that Nat Geo has uh has adapted over time? Uh, I mean. With oh, the rise yeah. of the internet versus the TV and the magazine before, it, it feels like it's it's just been a natural. It's almost like a natural evolution because people are so interested by like in the subject matter that it feels like they haven't had to really change and graft like some other agencies and places have had to, and some have disappeared, of course. Um, Many have disappeared. Do you think it's because of the subject matter that you guys are out there and, and girls are out there shooting, or is it because Nat Geo uh, just seamlessly kept things going so nicely behind the scenes that it all just seems like a natural continuation? Uh, no, I think it's changed tremendously over the years and uh, in in terms of uh, what is covered. And, of course, as I was saying, a lot of the bread and butter, which were stories on culture and history, don't exist anymore. So mm -hmm. they've had to find new niche. And there's a lot of science. There's a lot of not breaking news, but certainly much more in-depth on newsy subjects uh especially the last few years with uh, the new editors uh susan goldberg so right. yeah you're you're seeing a very different version from when i was really active pretty much up to 2015 it was really my brand in that i was uh still working on assignments but now uh, you know, it's not the biggest client on my on my list, so yeah. um, it's still my brand, of course. Of it, but uh, you know, the assignments are very different. And uh, uh, as you know, the news biz or the the publication 
magazine business is is pretty much dying everywhere there's there's nobody left so uh there's not much left in print as far as uh people to work for so that's that's a, a major difference and in, in the way they look at stories the way they cover them there's a big tilt now to uh, photographers who are in um, in countries. So if you're going to do a story in in uh, Africa, you're going to find an African uh, photographer. And same with South America or Asia or anywhere, you're going to try and find that. And, and of course, there's so many good photographers out there that they are actively looking for those people who um, they can tap who are based in, in those individual countries. Mm. Do you think, I mean, this is a kind of related question is quite a tricky one, I guess, but do you think that there is like more of an appetite for history or less, do you think now than there was say 10, 20, 30 years ago, just on a general kind of consumer level, you know, is, is writing about, here's another one, another pronunciation for me to butcher, Zhang He that you uh, did Zhang a book he. around. Zhang yeah. He, there we go. <laughs> um, is, is that more Even of a difficult thing one, to get Chris. people interested in now? Or uh, is it, yeah, more difficult or more easy, do you think? Uh, I think there's a great interest out there. I, I am on the speaker circuit and I, I speak about Zheng He, the great 15th century <laughs> uh, Chinese admiral who sailed everywhere before Christopher Columbus and, and Vasco da Gama and all those guys. And uh, nobody, he's, uh, we joke about it, but he's the explorer that, the greatest explorer that no one's ever heard of. Well, when they hear about it and, uh, you know, I, I speak, uh, my, my talk is usually somewhat uh, always connected, seems to be to the Silk Road and um, this route, both east, both on the sea and on the land, east to west and west to east is basically what I talk about. And people are interested to hear the history of um, what's going on today with the what China calls one belt, one road or, or uh, belt and road, which is their initiative to connect uh, infrastructure wise, the, all these countries uh, that used to be part of the Silk Road. So, yeah, yeah so <laughs> if I'm in any demand on, uh, you know, on the speaking circuit, it's for these, these historical stories. So, yeah, I, I guess I mentioned that because I sort of think that in, in some sense that some, there's something to do with the fact that the fact we are now always online and so kind of caught up in in this moment. I think there is a kind of emerging strong interest, particularly in just thinking about, you know, these times way back when, when the world, you know, was partly the step and, you know, everything was so kind of still <laughs> still emerging that there's kind of more appetite than ever in a way to, to kind of learn about those those yeah. times that were so completely different from this hyper-connected world we're in now. Plus, it's uh, it's so homogenized now, mm. and I feel very fortunate to have uh, had that um, timing opportunity to cover subjects. Well, when I started 40 years ago and watching all these countries grow up, and uh, now uh, so many of them, especially the big cities, uh, look the same with, you know, chain restaurants and, and chains everywhere the same, um, where the world has indeed, uh, is started startlingly looking same or similar. So especially the fastest growing economies in the far East. So yeah, history and I, I've been watching uh, more TV than I ever have in my life, and I've been watching a couple of French series. The one called "Call My Agent" is takes place in Paris, and you're looking at all this incredible, beautiful uh, Paris uh, landscapes. And of course, I love Paris, and I just always marvel at how they've kept their history and have all these incredibly beautiful old buildings. Yeah. I was thinking this the other day, actually, I was walking along the uh, the embankment in London, and uh, it's crazy how, I think, because of the war, 
the, the you, you get all these beautiful old style buildings and then you get these like hideous modern ones just like yeah. randomly jutting in and i was walking along and i thought hang on a minute this, this must be because that building was just destroyed and then they just put something up yeah. um and i mean this is just a silly anecdote but then I, there are these uh these two uh it's called like the needle of cleopatra or something there, oh there's i know a statue it. yeah i know, you it know well. that? Yeah, yeah, and um, and it's got the, the those two lions either side, oh. and there's a small there's a small notice on it that says because um, the lion's full of holes and you'd think it was rust, but it says it was actual shrapnel from a bomb that hit the building like a hundred meters away, and the building yeah it was amazing, just all that kind of history and stuff that you, and architecture in London that you uh, people don't really think about i think and it's yeah. just the kind of thing i think photographers think about quite a lot in particular <laughs> walk around like oh wow look at that little detail and all that kind of thing well i think you uh, europeans in general have a better uh understanding and uh, reverence for history uh than uh, americans with their our relatively short uh, history here in yeah. uh, Italy is another place I visit often and uh, same sense of, you know, rather than tear the building down, they figure out a way to save it and, and uh, uh, make it modern and useful. And uh, unfortunately in China, a lot of the um, cities have just been torn down and everything old mm. is gone and in its place rises these uh, very modern and for me not <laughs> quite so interesting <laughs> photographically uh, yeah. to uh, spend time yeah. there's, there's a tension there isn't there because m maybe not interesting photographically but just as you know you've latched on to certain moments in history where there's big, been kind of big sea changes in, in what's happened in the world that is what's happening in China right now. We're like, we're at the midst of this right. huge geopolitical shift from west to east. So it's mm. all going on there. Like from, <laughs> this is this weird thing where like, that's, this is the, the story of our time is, is China and to some extent India and everything going on out there. But then on a, on a ground day to day level, not always that photographically interesting. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, one of my uh, projects that I'd like to uh, go back to when when you can do travel again is to follow the Mekong River, which I did in uh, 1990, 91, um, from source to mouth. So it starts up in uh, Tibet and uh, Qinghai above Tibet and then trickles or not trick goes down uh and it becomes the lifeblood of southeast asia and since this is my territory i i catch glimpses of it all the time but i i was thinking of making a um uh spending a, a long time there and traveling each section of the river as i once did and photographing what uh those changes are and be able to put side by side, okay, this is the way this little town was, which is now a major city, and this little bridge that I walked across and had, uh, you know, one lane is now a, a super suspension bridge, and, you know, these, yeah. of course, all these changes that have uh, happened. So what, well, again, if I'm, uh, have all these historical pictures, my thought was, why don't I, see uh what's there now and um so this was a, another idea i had yeah. when uh when things are back to normal yeah that's a cool project isn't it i think uh yeah the 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 place i found most bizarre in it it was was macau because oh. i went there and it was like super modern airports yeah. <laughs> and mm, loads mm. of you know kind of that whole uh, capitalist, like casino, casinos, kind of, you know, yeah. that kind of vibe. And then you had um, some extraordinary uh, traditional places and uh, I've kind of managed to find and, uh, and those temples, I really found the temples interesting as well. Mm. And it was just such a confused place, I felt. It was like, what the hell is this place? <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure which one it is. Um, and yeah, I've never quite experienced that, that amount of, of difference in such a short space of time, you know, just like over a day. Right. Right. 
Well, and it's at, at least uh, there's a, a an attempt to um, hold on to the past. And as I say, in this headlong rush uh, to the future, uh, to the glorious modern age, uh, again, a lot of uh, countries um, who are going through it right now are uh, forgetting about that. So, yeah, I, th I think it's uh, worthy to focus on history in the past and uh, uh, draw attention to mm. uh, what it was like and, and how beautiful and, and vibrant uh, it was way back when, it, even, yeah. even in, in maybe much more uh, poor uh, times, but still, you know, I think everybody's going to look back with some nostalgia at what they have missed or what is now no longer. So, yeah. So I, I, I see you've done, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 16 photo books. Maybe yeah. you've done more. Um, Most of them. Yep, go ahead. No, no, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say that uh, a lot of them have been uh, about these journeys following uh, explorers or um, travelers who've gone over uh, different routes and countries. And, and, and in the case of China, I think I've done most of the icons, uh, from Great Wall and Silk Road to Marco Polo to Grand Canal. And I'm always looking for more, but I don't think there is any more, so... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Do you think you've completed great routes? It? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, if you've exhausted China, that's pretty good going. It's a pretty good landmass. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm told I have the world's biggest uh, body of work on China, and that includes Chinese photographers because I worked in a time when there were yeah. many restrictions, and I had the uh, geographic behind me and a pile of film, and was able to travel and lot of uh, areas that uh, we're not open to most. And, uh, yeah, that's something I'm very proud of. I, I, I want to mention one thing that I need to want to get across, but, uh, you know, this, uh, is photography, especially here in the U S has been very much one of, uh, white photographers. And I've been very proud to recently be recognized as a minority of course people say ah oh, you're not a minority you're japanese i said come on you guys like anyway people see me as americans and yeah. uh but uh and uh, recently it was pointed out that uh in the 130 year old history of of the geographic i have been the one regular uh photographer of color who's uh worked at um at the magazine so my 30 mm. plus stories in 40 years is is meaningful and that i've been somewhat of a pioneer and and that i'm very proud of in a world that's basically uh photographers of of uh, color have been uh not been very prominent but also credit yeah, to you that you've you know built yeah. a career without that being an issue you know that you haven't mm. It's not been because of your your heritage that you've excelled. You've excelled, and then maybe now people are noticing that. Yeah, and also I think it's the subject matter. Uh, since I made that decision to uh, work in in basically the Far East. Yeah, so, and yeah, having a niche is always important, isn't it? But yeah, I suppose then, being in be, being a niche is, is something completely separate to that. Did you feel that um, that separation between you and other photographers in that time? Uh, were, did, you, were you aware not. of that, or did you just crack on? I was completely oblivious to that. I was just, you know, I'm driven by my the stories I'm doing as a, as a storyteller. I'm always looking for the next best one and constantly coming up with ideas and pitching them and i yeah. uh, it just i never even thought of it in those terms um i just keep my head you know low and go into the office show the photographs and you know get the story approved and move on to the next so 
No, I, yeah. I, and and I've, as I say, working in Asia has been to my advantage, uh, having Asian roots and uh, and then having the expertise now of having traveled and knowing these countries so well and having plenty of friends and people to help me out when I get there. Yeah, no, it's fascinating life and career for sure. Have you got anywhere? Well, it's still around- going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. On on it goes. That that that, that, that that's what I said to Steve. Uh, Steve McCurry said, um, you know, do you have any uh, plans to chill out any point? Because he seems to have achieved about everything you can achieve. He said, no, not at all. Just going to keep keep shooting, keep going. And it's uh, yeah. Do you, do you carry a camera around with you wherever you go? That's, that's yeah. a question I haven't asked. Well, yeah, I always. Uh, here's my cell phone, and this morning, uh, talk about photographer obsession. Well, we've, we're in a cold spell here in, in New Jersey. Yeah. In fact, they were predicting a huge ice storm this morning, which uh, it didn't, or last night, which just didn't happen. But I've been saving these icicles. Now, if I open my, my back door, there's a pile of icicles there, and I should knock them down. They're not good for the house or the gutters, and they could fall on you and kill you because they are sharp at the end there. But sure. I've saved but them. But they look and, excellent. <laughs> and they look excellent. Well, that's what I've been waiting for since they've been there for about a half a week or about three or four days, but I haven't had suns. So I'm waiting for the sun to hit these things so I can take a picture of it before I knock them down. So I was out here there doing that with my cell phone, uh, taking pictures of these uh, icicles before you guys, uh, I hooked up with you guys. So I came in from the outdoors and I've got these great pictures. I Well, I think they're good. So I'm going to put one or two of them up on Instagram so you can <laughs> see the icicles uh, out my back door. Uh, that uh yeah that, and because and, and, they're going to take them down yeah right <laughs> so i'm going to i'm going to knock them down uh later this morning after well, after this talk well do you know what you might have the record for the uh biggest archive of china photography but i'm certain i now hold the record for uh west london photography <laughs> okay. after one year <laughs> honestly i've okay. just been shooting the same route the same kind of block. It's driving me mad. Oh. Um, yeah, and, if anyone uh, wants to tell the story of West London between the years 2019 and 2021, <laughs> Alan Shello has got you covered. <laughs> I have got you covered. I know I left nothing unturned. Um, well, I follow, yeah, by so the way, it, Barry, Barry Lewis, I, I follow him. He's always coming up with stuff on, on uh, London that is interesting to me since I'm interested in London. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know him? Well, well yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Um, what's your opinion on London? Uh, well, <laughs> I always find it interesting hearing uh, for like kind of other perspectives on it. Well, I certainly like going there. Actually, I had a, a show. Um, was it a couple of years ago? And then it got uh, pretty much canceled out by the stabbings, or I can't remember exactly what happened. But there were a lot of uh, terror attacks going on and suddenly the whole city was on, on high alert and shut down and nobody went to see the exhibition yeah, so yeah it was off limits i understand but anyway uh and i was there at that time and of course every time they go to london i, I actually went to school at uh, city of london college for a semester and so i do have a love oh, for cool. that city and Drove around on a motorcycle. I knew it well, really well at one time. But nice. um, yeah, not too much on my you know travel ticket comes uh, takes me to London these days, except for maybe a wedding or that show. Yeah, um, are you uh, aware of uh, the? Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it now. Uh, there's a uh, a new initiative by Prince William. The uh, uh, it's a climate Earthshot. That was yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Earthshot I, 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 Prize, and you know I was asked to be an ambassador, and I'm very 
uh, proud of that. So I, uh, they will contribute $50,000 to a person who comes up with the best project for uh, environmental issues to save the environment. And uh, this is going on right now, but... Um, yeah, yeah that's, anyway. that's one thing, you know, I, I can be negative about the UK sometimes, but one thing we are very good at is there's a lot of support for environmental stuff, I think, over here in a way more bipartisan way than in the US, you know, where it tends to fall along party lines. Here, across the board, everyone seems to <laughs> agree that it's an issue and also yeah. wants to do make changes to address it, which is which is encouraging. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's... Uh, a great thing, and of course, it's right up there now, tops on the agenda here in the U.S. again. Mm. But uh, can't afford to ignore that. And um, no. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy anyway. that people do. Yeah, yeah. yeah the fact that it could slide back off the agenda in four years' time is nuts. But hopefully, hopefully, it's yeah. here to stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're lucky here with the arts as well, like museums and galleries being free. Yes. Uh, that is a real bonus. Uh, yeah, and I no always question. find like, especially in New York, it's like you go to three galleries and you're seventy five dollars down. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's just pricing people out. Like right, you can't right. do it. Yeah, yeah, it's a real shame when that, that happens. And and yeah, I, t I completely took it for granted for so many years how you can just wander into the British Museum just for ten minutes to have a look if you want. Yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Know. But yeah. I would imagine so. Is I'm, I know you guys are also under some fairly severe. Uh, lockdown measures or is that mm -hmm. open to you now can you guys no. visit uh... nope <laughs> oh, nope no the only things that are open are the pret-a-mangers the sandwich uh -huh. shops yeah. i mean i've mean, uh, worn a few sandwiches from there too <laughs> i know like, anyway. when, 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 if a nuclear holocaust happens they'll all that will be left it will just be <laughs> pret sandwiches and uh, uh yeah, it's just it's basically just them, and um, and I don't know what else is even open. Like it's crazy. It's just sandwiches. I I am a volunteer fireman in my uh, small town here. Oh yeah, uh, I think I read that. And yeah. because of that, I am uh, was high up on the list to get my vaccine, and I got my second COVID vaccine uh, last week, last Thursday. So hey. I'm almost. Home free. I think you, it, it takes another week or so to kick in where you are 95, supposedly 95 protected. But um, cool. Anyway, I have that. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, travel will soon be back to normal. But then again, Americans uh, are the kind of the pariahs of the world. And you know, who is willing to allow an American to visit their country. It's um, very unfortunate <laughs> that uh, nobody's uh, allowing Americans to visit, especially in, in Asia where I, where I um, work. So yeah. anyway, you know what? who so knows it's, what it's going to yeah. be like for the next, uh, for this year, but I am not very optimistic, even though I have this, uh, vaccine and I will feel much freer to wander around New York where they just opened up indoor dining again so other than having some good good meals and maybe being able to, to uh, with distancing be able to go see a, some sort of a um, get into a museum for example yeah well you yeah, get a, a vaccine nice. passport and we'll, we'll be second class citizens here and you'll be you'll be jetting around with your with your vaccine badge but um i'm, I'm fascinated mike about your um your volunteer fireman role how, how often does the phone ring where you gotta well, like <laughs> no it's uh you know it's a small town so you know out of a hundred <laughs> calls maybe uh you know five of them were were real and, and needed a response there's a lot of you know down power lines where you're standing watch or accidents where you're again standing watch and uh the ambulance people are taking over uh, so there's no, there isn't fires, a dedicated uh, yeah. there isn't a dedicated firefight team or there or no, I'm uh, well. I'm a little, little too old to be <laughs> running into burning buildings, though. I did go to fire school, and I've been doing it for somewhat like thirty-five years now. So, uh, yeah, there were. It was a time where, yeah, I have a great collection of 
real fire pictures and really up close since you know i would be <laughs> doubling up on jobs <laughs> well what works best is we, we would what we would call a surrounded drown where the fire was out of control and you were there just to spray water around the side so it didn't spread so on a surrounded drown i was free to go around and and just shoot and uh, really yeah, surrounded and drowned. Yeah, did so they I do have a great. And... Yeah, I have a great uh, collection of fire and drills and fire engines and all of that stuff. And you know, it's it's um, it's boys with big toys. <laughs> here's, here's, <laughs> well, you get to drive here's... trucks. The question I have is, do they install you a uh, fireman pole uh, at your house? <laughs> no, it were, you know, you, you get it. Uh, well, it used to be uh, you'd hear this big fire uh, signal, uh, very yeah. loud, and you'd respond to that when I lived Rubble. closer to the firehouse. But now, of course, you get it on your cell phone and, um, you know, the... The call goes out, and you, you go to the firehouse and and, uh, and gear up and uh, jump in a truck. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I yeah. Volunteered for something like that. I've not been year. doing my civic duty. I'm signing up once we get off of this call. Let me out of well, <laughs> In a small town where I live, there wasn't much choice. In at least in the first house I was living in, because there was there were a lot of firemen who lived around me, and the firehouse was right down the block mm. within uh, within a couple hundred yards so i, I easily yeah. got recruited but yeah it's uh, again very difficult these days with uh to to find volunteers who are willing to give up time and and uh, especially this going to fire school and getting qualified to uh to do this this job but um, very hard now to find uh, yeah the volunteers so uh, it's uh, as everywhere. It's you know, it's it's a dim different demographic. Who well, let's see if we can't address that. We'll energize our, our listenership. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if you're <Okay>. listening, <laughs> get the fire um, hose. <laughs> so you you went to fire school. I did, uh, but did you did you go to photographic school? I did not. Yeah, so that's interesting because I, I, I'm self taught as well, and I think. Uh, Chris is pretty self-taught in everything that he's done visually. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting point. I think. Uh, I think with with certain creative skills like painting, yeah. it's something yeah. that you have to be shown. But with photography, it seems to be more of a just go out there and do it, right? Well, if you uh, had the time and the money, you might go to journalism school and uh, learn that way, and you probably maybe even save some time by. Uh, doing that, but uh, the same books are available to anybody who wishes to read. And of course, there are so many examples, especially now, of just great photography to look at, uh, especially on the internet. So, uh, yeah, I, I learned as a, a hobby and uh, got really hooked into it. And as I tell uh, my students in, in um photo workshops they really need to be obsessed like i was and you know i, I was just eat and sleep and and think uh, all the time photography and and that's how you know kind of the formula there is no formula to to break into this but um you really need to be um, dedicated and um, and then maybe you need a little bit of talent, but everything there to learn is on the internet or in a book. So, Amen. And of course, now with with uh, all the avenues available to display your work, then things have never been better as far as showing uh, your photography. The only problem yeah. is getting paid, which uh, <laughs> you know in the old days you. You have to get paid because the picture went into uh, a picture editor had to choose the photograph and then it was put on to the pages of a magazine or anyway, it was yeah. printed on paper and there was 
that process uh, required money, and therefore, you know, photographers got paid for it. But now it's in the air, and people um, are out there shooting their hearts out and, and not finding a way to. Yeah, to, uh, everything is free now. That's that, that's the great problem we've got to solve across many many different disciplines. Everything being yeah. free is crazy. <laughs> it is it is it is crazy. Although it's interesting how. Um, National Geographic, uh, I don't know what their readership was back in the day but of the magazine when it was at its peak, but I doubt it was 156 million, which is what its following is now on Instagram. Yeah, maybe well, it was, it was 11, but, 11 million in its heyday. And, uh, yeah, uh, so it's just about figuring, because they've got a bigger audience than ever, but they've, uh, it's just yeah, like like you said, it's about how to channel the, that into something <laughs> that, that means that you can get paid. Yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, th that's the mystery. Yeah, and <laughs> there's always a need for photography, so <laughs> it's great. I have uh, my younger colleagues saying, you know, I wish I was your age, so I don't have to worry about all this stuff. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know. Uh, not that I'm beyond, not that I'm, you know, recession proof or what, uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's just uh, certainly uh, I was able to uh, build a large body of work, which is becoming very difficult for uh, younger f photographers today to amass uh, large. Yeah. Yeah, if, if I had a penny for every time me and Alan have said, God, I wish we were just shooting in the 70s and living then. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's incredibly <laughs> ignorant of all the, the wonders of modern medicine we have. But yeah, I also do wish. <laughs> well, I didn't get started to the 80s. And when uh, that was happening, everybody said, no, I don't get into photography. It's really, uh, there's no big magazines. There was Life magazine had just closed and Look magazine and all those oh, weekly yeah photo magazines or weekly pictorial magazines had closed and so everybody said that's a bad idea don't don't be a photographer there's no future in that so uh, well, this is what uh, gave me comfort in going into the creative field was uh you know let's say there are a hundred thousand photographers in london yeah. uh, how many what percentage of them think that the industry is a pile of rubbish and that they can't make it and that the you know most people just have a very negative opinion of of things and um rightly so in a way of course but uh i think that's been the same over all of history you know like in the 70s yeah. people would have been like oh photography back in the 50s is where you should have done it when it first kicked off you know so there's always going to be some sort of negativity isn't there for every generation well it's almost well the thing is you're not doing it uh you're doing it because you you are compelled to do it and you love doing it so uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a great hobby, even if you're not making a dime because you're enjoying the fact that you are producing, creating something and it's, you know, whether it's for your own pleasure or you're sharing it somehow on, on social media, uh, that is the driving force. And it's almost, uh, of course, yeah, for someone to... It's not like you ever got into this for fame and fortune. So, no. you know, I wasn't yeah. ever thinking I was going to make a lot of money. I was just, you know, if I wasn't doing uh, reportage on a worldwide scale, I was thinking, well, maybe I'd have a, you know, a portrait studio or something in my small town that I live in. I, I, at the when I started, it was just that I loved photography, and it, I wasn't thinking either of. You know, working for at the time National Geographic was it. There was no other magazine. It continues to be that way today. But, but um, yeah, I think you're doing it for either your passion and your the fact that you love doing it is is the best way to look at it. Yeah, I agree. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mike. It's been yeah great nice to, speak to talk to you. to you guys and put. Put faces to names. Yes, yeah. really, really nice to uh, to have chatted, and yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to uh, 
have a deeper look into some of your Asia stuff, especially snow, because that's, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'm on a snow streak, as you see. So again, I'm, <laughs> yeah. my assistants are feeding me all these pictures from the past that I've taken, and a lot of them I've forgotten about. Just you know, they have not seen the light of day, and so now. Uh, you know, I'm looking at these photographs and going, wow, yeah, look at that. Holy God, you know, that was a great situation. And yeah. maybe you'll you see a book at the end of it. I might call it uh, uh, Seconds or something, because a lot of these have yeah, you know, why just, not? just mm. not, not been seen. You know, I chose one or two, and the rest have been buried. So, well, they, they, they will sustain us, Chris, won't they, until we actually get to go out there and. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hope to cross paths right. in a, a departure lounge sometime soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Really, that'd be cool. <laughs>